1: Desmond, remember way, way back to episode two of the show? Yeah, man, that was the Alberta election episode. That's it. One of the most fascinating things, for me at least, that came up in the conversation, we only got to touch on just a little bit. And that was about how the leader of the Wild Rose Party in Alberta left the Wild Rose Party for the Progressive Conservatives and took a bunch of her crew with her.
2: Yeah, Danielle Smith was leader of the opposition, the Wild Rose, and she ditched him for the ruling PC party. And then after that, she lost the PC nomination race and wasn't even part of the general election.
1: Yeah, she got washed. It was pretty bad. In some respects, you could kind of look at this like, you know, what if Guy Lafleur had taken off his red jersey and put on the Maple Leaf Blue instead? Or what if Biggie had left Bad Boy to go record for Def Row?
0: A member of Parliament was elected as a Liberal and crossed the floor to sit as a Conservative two weeks after that election. Our citizens were outraged. They regarded this as an act of democratic betrayal, It rendered their votes meaningless. People from every political persuasion joined together to demand the restoration of their democratic rights. The news came as such a surprise you could hear the collective gasp from the press gallery. After four years as a Conservative MP, Eve Adams sat next to her new leader and took some parting shots of the Prime Minister and how he runs this government. I can no longer support mean-spirited leadership that divides people, instead of bringing them together.
1: Hi, the most recent question I received from Red Deer Lake School. In the past, we've seen floor crossing from one political party to another. What is your
0: position on those who choose to cross the floor? Excellent question.
1: Excellent question. What the? Who are these people? Crossing the floor, at least to myself, is a rather interesting and contentious topic, and leave it up to Canadians in the public sphere to just press all the life out of it. It's like everybody who ever comments on this topic are the kind of people who, like, for breakfast, they consider, like, a really spicy breakfast, you know, a bowl of oatmeal with no sugar and some toast with no butter on it and a glass of water. Well, you know, we're bringing the hot sauce
2: this episode, and we've got an excellent guest in Danielle Smith to help us liven up this discussion about crossing the floor. Let's get
1: into it, man. I'm Desmond Cole. And I'm Andre Demise. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode is brought to you by Audible, the world's best online audiobook service. So another book in my repertoire that listeners of Canada Land Commons might like is The Big Short by Michael Lewis. I happen to like this book because I'm very interested and fascinated by the financial sector and how it works. And Michael Lewis does an excellent job breaking down the precursor to the 2008 financial debacle, which had worldwide consequences, and discussing a little bit about what should be done in the aftermath. You can read this book or any other one in Audible's 180,000 volume library for free with a 30-day membership. Just visit audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand to get started.
2: This episode, we've got Danielle Smith on the line in High River,
1: Alberta. She was the leader of the Wild Rose Party from 2009 up until late December 2014, when she crossed the floor to join the ruling Progressive Conservatives. She's been out of the public sphere
2: since losing the PC nomination race leading up to that election. And I understand that Danielle is starting a stint guest hosting at a radio show in Calgary this week. Is that right,
3: Danielle? That is. I'm going to be doing what you guys do. Um, It's a pleasure to be here to talk to you.
1: Thanks for joining us. So I guess we want to to jump right in head first. Could you give us a sense of what brought you into politics in the first place?
3: I entered politics back in my... fourth year of university at the University of Calgary. I'd always been conservative-minded. My dad is a strong conservative, and we had a lot of conversations around the dinner table. But I, I felt like because we were leading into some pretty exciting times in politics, I wanted to get more involved on the partisan level. So I joined the Campus Progressive Conservative Club. And then in About a 16-month period, we had a provincial leadership race, a federal leadership race, the Charlottetown Accord, a provincial election, a federal election, plus a a by-election in one of our prominent Calgary ridings. So I had a a really good taste of politics over that period of time. I was hooked. I I knew at that point that I probably would want to run for office again one day.
1: Holy smokes. (laughs) What drew you towards the Wild Rose Party?
3: I was recruited by a number of people who'd been involved with Wild Rose who were very upset about some things that were happening in Alberta. The first being changes to our royalty structure for oil revenues. But what was persuasive for me was that even in a time of incredible economic boom, we ended up with a government that was running deficits. And that was intolerable to me. I'd always entered politics thinking, that the number one thing that a competent government should do is run a balanced budget. I felt it was important to do what I'd seen Preston Manning do and create a a voice of genuine fiscal conservatism that would try to hold the government to account, bring them back to where they should be, and if not, create a viable party that was capable of replacing them to form government. So
2: just to understand, Danielle, the Attraction to you for the Wild Rose Party was that it represented more of that fiscal, uh, conservative, libertarian political ideology that you were interested in, and you felt that the PCs were drifting away from that.
3: That's certainly what I wanted the party to be, but it's not what the other caucus members wanted the party to be, and it's not what the membership wanted the party to be. When I ran in the leadership race, I made it pretty clear that I was pro-choice. And that I was pro-gay marriage, and if they were voting for me, that that's what they were going to get, is somebody who was very strong on fiscal issues, but very hands-off when it came to social issues. The party remained fiscally and socially conservative, and I was just a bad fit as leader. Uh, so we had a couple of missteps. My misstep in 2012 was not firing a candidate who made incredibly controversial and offensive statements. That
2: We actually uh, spoke about that on this show previously.
3: Right. So that was my mistake. I I, I had misjudged where Albertans were at.
2: Obviously, you had um, reasons for initially wanting to join the Wild Rose Party, but then as leader of the party in December of last year, you chose a very interesting and I'd say unprecedented move in politics, which was as leader to say, I would like to actually cross the floor with several of my MLAs from the Wild Rose, and we would like to join the Progressive Conservative Party. Was there a moment, I guess, when you thought, I know now that I, as leader of one party, have to leave and join another party?
3: Well, it never was that moment for me. That's not how we characterized what we thought we were doing. We thought we were having a merger. We thought we were bringing together two parties that wanted to accomplish essentially the same thing under a leader, Jim Prentice, who was pretty well in alignment with what I wanted to do, that I hope help explains why we would make what seems like an inexplicable decision. Having bashed the progressive conservatives for six years, you don't all of a sudden wake up and say, gee, all sins are forgiven and now we want to join them. It was, we want to bring the Wild Rose culture into the progressive conservative caucus and create something new. Of course, that was a fiction. It never was a genuine merger. We all found after the fact, and were greatly uh, surprised and disappointed, that the public didn't see it that way. The members rejected it. And ultimately, it looked like just another floor crossing.
1: I guess the question is then, how was it that, that nine MLAs, under the impression that this was going to be a party merger, end up leaving the party to join the PCs, whereas the, the rest of the MLAs and I guess the executive committee didn't agree to that. So it ends up becoming the the, the nine of you moving over.
3: We overestimated how persuasive we'd be able to be in convincing the public and the membership to come over. I had penned a letter to the executive committee asking them to put a question to the membership to to validate a formal merger process with the caucuses coming together and they rejected it. That's when it it became nothing more than uh, a floor crossing. And you can see in joining the PC caucus without having the rest of the party membership and the party apparatus come with us, it was doomed to failure.
2: And therefore, Danielle, your move to the PC party ignited a lot of anger in constituents, so some of them saying that they voted for one thing, and now they felt like they were uh, getting a different thing that they've, than they voted for. So how much did you take that into consideration, how your constituents would feel about you going from one party to another before you actually made that leap?
3: You have to understand that I had more in common with Jim Prentice than I did with the membership of the Wild Rose. I was becoming increasingly a misfit. I'd lost four by-elections. I lost a key vote that I thought was essential to moving forward at our AGM. Our members were upset that I'd participated in the Pride Parade in Calgary. So teach me a lesson. They came out and voted en masse to reject a comprehensive anti-discrimination policy that would have said no one can be discriminated on any grounds, including sexual orientation, which once again affirmed for the public that we weren't ready for prime time. Uh, And then in addition to that, the caucus lost confidence that we would actually be able to form government and be successful with Jim Prentice on the other side as leader. I was stacking up my resume with his and my caucus doing the same. It appeared to us that he was unbeatable. So that was really the rationale that went into it for the 11 of us, the two that went before plus the, the nine of us who went after in saying that perhaps the Wild Rose is a dead political vehicle and perhaps the Jim Prentice is the guy who can fix things.
1: So I guess that leads to a couple of follow-up questions. It seems to me, first of all, it's almost like the Wild Rose Party was, in a, in a sense, like an analog to the Tea Party in the United States, where it starts off as a group of people who are just really aggrieved with U.S. fiscal policy. And then it's almost like every like, disaffected and aggrieved social conservative just shuffles out of a mausoleum to join the cause and essentially take it over. Is it something like that?
3: It sounds, it sounds like it's exactly like that. I remember talking to one angry senior who said, well, I joined the Wild Rose because I've been asking the provincial government to stop charging hunting license fees when, I, when people turn 65 because our seniors should be able to get a break on hunting fees. And I thought... On what planet did you think that the Wild Rose was going to stop charging hunting fees to people over 65? Is that the reason you're supporting us? And so I think if you actually dug down and you looked at why people voted for the Wild Rose, it's just every single person who was cranky and angry at government found that the Wild Rose could be the expression of that.
1: Okay. And to ask the second question, was there any part of you that somewhere in the back of your mind you thought, maybe Jim Prentice is playing me because... He's essentially destroyed the right flank. So was there any sense that he was playing you this, this whole time? Remember,
3: I encountered Jim Prentiss many times over my political career. Jim and I had a very long friendship and I had a great admiration for him. So I didn't have any reason to believe that he wasn't genuine.
2: And in hindsight, has your feeling changed about the genuine nature of his proposal to you?
3: There was not a single a single thing that we agreed to in those 10 principles that he acted on. And his budget was a disaster. And I told him so. I said, "Uh, I can't believe, (laughs) or I hope I didn't destroy my political career for this, because it was a budget that not only included massive debt increases, massive tax increases, but did absolutely nothing on trying to find efficiencies. So in the end, absolutely, it was my misjudgment and my error. I just thought he was going to be a different kind of leader. I thought he was going to be the kind of leader that I could support.
2: And, you know, you're giving us insight into how this was negotiated between politicians and party membership. But I want, I just want to ask again about constituents. What did you hear from the people that put you and other Wild Rose members in office after they found out that this merger was about to take place, that that you guys were moving yourselves over to the Progressive Conservatives?
3: Oh, it was it was awful. Um, in Alberta, I think the thing that I misjudged on too, and I you can tell I do a lot of misjudgment. But one of the things I had thought was that Alberta was a conservative province, but we're not. We're a populist province, and so the people really and truly want to be consulted, want to be part of the process, and do not want their political leaders preempting what they believe is their rightful decision to make. I I think the culture might be different in other provinces. So how we went about it was uh, a, a catastrophic error on our part. And I think I bore the brunt of that. I just... Got massacred.
1: Um, When you realized that you were going to lose the PC nomination in your writing, what went through your mind?
3: Let me take one more step back because I can tell you one of the things that I'd spoken with Jim about was that he and the party executive director had assured us that we would have some say over when our nomination date was called. So I – left on my vacation having told them that I'd like my nomination to be in September. And then a week later, when I was on the beach, I found out that he wanted to hold all of his nominations in March.
1: <laughs> hold up. So you're on vacation, like on a beach, all of a sudden, your BlackBerry, I'm sorry, your iPhone goes off or whatever phone you use?
3: Yeah, you have to imagine for the nine of us to have put our political careers on the line, to have gone through this in mid-December and essentially find out three weeks later, oh, by the way. You're going to have contested nominations and they're going to start within the next few weeks. I mean, you can imagine that if that had been communicated to us in December, our reaction would have been, well, we'll take our chances then in the wild rose," because that's just not enough time. When I found out when I was away on vacation, I said to my husband... Number one, I'm so embarrassed. And number two, I'm finished. It was an awful vacation. And then came back and I couldn't get volunteers because not only did the Wild Rose volunteers, very few of them came over with me. But all of the progressive conservative volunteers hated me. They'd spent six years fighting against me. And now they're supposed to embrace me with a couple of weeks notice. It was ridiculous to think that could ever happen that quickly.
2: Now, Danielle, you moved from an opposition party to the government side. Is there this sense sometimes that the only real way to get things done, even if you're an elected MP, is to be in the actual government side?
3: There's a difference between being a PC backbench MLA, which I was, or um, a, an MLA on the opposite side. Uh, as opposition leader, the only way you can change government is if you can get the public angry enough that they start calling into the minister's offices. And so you need a very strong advocacy effort to back up anything you do and say as an opposition leader.
1: So you got to be play hater of the year to really to really affect any change.
3: Completely. There is no question that when you are a government MLA, you can call ministers, you can call chiefs of staff, you can have meetings with deputy ministers. It's a sad commentary on politics that you don't have the same level of access to decision makers within the political ranks and the bureaucracy as you do when you're a PC MLA, but there is some, some truth to that.
2: What have you taken away from this whole experience of crossing from the Wild Rose to the PC party and then not getting the nomination? Back.
3: The, the crossings aren't always as controversial as this and you have to look at crossings in a parliamentary democracy are part of the system uh, Winston Churchill crossed the floor twice. He began as a conservative, then crossed over and became a liberal for, I think, two decades, and then crossed back to the conservatives. The, this is part of the mechanism of what happens in a parliamentary democracy because if, you, if your views fundamentally change while you're in office and another party is actually more reflective of your values, the only real way to start voting with the party you believe in is to join them. It's very unusual to have parties where you've got MLAs consistent Consistently voting against the leadership of their party or in my case the leader consistently voting outside what the remaining MLAs were, were voting on. so it's
2: not it's not sorry for interrupting so it's not it's not crude then to suggest that in politics sometimes if you can't beat them you have to join them
3: there's a, probably a reason why that phrase is is so well known and so common
1: so from the point of view of the voters in the media why then do you think that when somebody crosses the floor to another party and it's always like every MLA or MPP or MP who who does this says that they're doing it as a matter of conscience. So why is there such a huge backlash from voters in the media?
3: It's a lot easier, I think, to survive politically if you cross to an opposition party than if you're an opposition MLA who crosses to a governing party.
2: Interesting.
3: We really began to surge after Rob Anderson and Heather Forsyth crossed the floor from the government ranks to join us. But when you look at the reverse, say Belinda Stronach crossing from the federal conservatives to become a cabinet minister with the liberals, or David Emerson crossing from the federal liberals to become a cabinet minister with the conservatives. That's where the public does not like to see floor crossings. I think that they believe that if you're going to leave government to join opposition, that inherently is a principled stand. I don't think they see it in the reverse.
2: That's a really interesting take. Is there anything you would do differently if you could have this all over again?
3: Yeah, I would have quit. Once I realized that I could no longer uh, be an effective leader of the Wild Rose, that I should have just quit.
1: Do you think that you were treated differently than others who have crossed before because of your gender? You know, I saw the things that you were called on comments and Facebook posts, and I saw the comments that the male MLAs were called, and, and it's nothing similar at all. Like, you were called some really harsh names. But
3: I was also the leader of a party. It's that notion that the captain should go down with their sinking ship, that even if we'd hit the Titanic and we were sinking, that I should have
1: martyred myself. True, but there are different names you can call a male captain than a female captain, and some of them are pretty (laughs) unacceptable.
3: (laughs) It's true. It was not... It was not a good moment in social media when you look at the incredible vitriol and lack of civility that I was treated with. That being said, I did tell Bashi Kapalas to piss off when she was uh, pestering me for an interview. That was done by text, though. That was not done publicly. She's the one who made it it public, not me. There's
1: something about me that I just love when politicians just plain lose it and let the mask slip and say what they really think.
3: (laughs) Well, that certainly got me at uh, an unfiltered moment.
1: Finally, Danielle, what do you see as being the
2: future of Alberta politics and are you going to play any role in it?
3: I want to be involved in the discussion, but I think the conservative movement is in real trouble. They, they have no consensus on what they want to be. And if you don't know what your mission statement is and can't communicate what you believe and why they should believe what you believe, you're not going to win. It means that we're in for, I think, at least a decade of NDP government until someone new can come along and articulate a conservative vision that actually fits with our progressive modern times.
1: I feel like we just saw a bit of foreshadowing, but I'm not going to press you on that one. <laughs> any further. Danielle, you've been amazing on this program. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. All the best.
3: I appreciate your time.
1: So that was a lot more open and flowing than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm actually genuinely surprised at how honest and refreshing Danielle Smith was.
2: She talked a lot about how she feels that she made mistakes, which you don't hear a lot of people who are in or have formerly been in politics say. So that was kind of refreshing, actually.
1: I noticed that you were starting to nerd out and maybe swoon just a little bit because... Swoon? Yes. We've been talking about the defection or the floor crossing of herself and her MLAs, and she said the word merger, and you repeated that word merger. True. I did do that. Thank
2: you for calling me on that, Andre. I used Danielle Smith's language when I meant to come into this conversation talking about crossing the floor. Oh, she got you good. <laughs> she got you... <laughs> but let's talk about that because... Something that I think was very clear from listening to Danielle Smith was that whatever you call this, whatever term she uses for how she perceives her move from the Wild Rose to the PCs, it's like this was an internal conversation. This was not something that her voters were privy to. They didn't have an opportunity to speak to it, to say, is this a merger? Is this you crossing the floor? What is it exactly that you guys are doing until the very end? And as she admitted, that made people
1: furious. Yeah, but hang on a second. Our current federal uh, government is composed of two former right-wing parties. So the Canadian Alliance and the Progressive Conservatives merged. And the former leader of the Progressive Conservatives, that's Peter McKay, was elected on the promise that he was not going to entreat any sort of merger negotiations with the Canadian Alliance. True. First thing that happened after he got elected was he merged with the Canadian Alliance. So you can talk about what the voters want all you want. But when this sort of thing happens, I don't know that they're really a part of that conversation. Well, we also have to remember that so few Canadians, I believe it's
2: 5% maybe of Canadians are members of a political party anyway. So even if you were a member of a party, and you wanted input on them doing this before they did it. You're not most voters. You're not most Canadians. You're a very small faction uh, deciding this from within, still. And so it kind of brings up questions about how democratic these choices really are when so few people are actually
1: participating in them. Uh, I hate to come out bashing the liberals on this one, but I've been a liberal for a very long time. I've voted liberal my entire life. And I kind of feel that way because I feel that the liberals have taken some positions that I completely disagree with. And you ask other liberal members and they feel completely betrayed by the party's supporter, for example, Bill C-51. That's the privacy bill that was just passed. It's, It's one that I think steps a little bit too far, but that's totally besides the point. What I'm trying to say is A lot of us were pretty upset with the direction this party took on civil liberties. But what are you really going to do? I mean, you're just one voter against the party machinery. So you might say the same for voters in Alberta. Where it comes to the insider politics, you don't really get a say.
2: You know what was interesting, though, and and Danielle Smith opened up about this, too, is that she was defeated after leaving as leader of one party and going to another. And I think when we talk about insider politics and we talk about how we imagine this stuff works, you would have thought that some kind of deal would have been put in place. Like, let's just be honest about that. It's like, okay, Danielle Smith, you can come over and in return, we'll make sure that you and all the people that you bring over uh, get to have seats and we'll make sure that your nominations are really, you know, that will support you and we'll make sure you get those nominations. That didn't actually happen in this case. And what that actually means is that whoever was a member of the progressive conservatives or those people who joined at the last minute, they were allowed to express their outrage and to say, we don't want these people who cross the floor. And I th- kind of find that interesting because you would have thought that the PCs would have Ensured that they protect these people who were leaving one party to come to them.
1: My personal opinion is Danielle Smith and her MLAs, they got washed. And I think that was part of Jim Prentice's plan the entire time. So, from my point of view, it looks to me like he was too clever by half because I think he was just trying to make sure that we decapitate uh, the, the party that can attack us from the right. But at the same time, he paid no attention to what people were going to think of him after that. And it kind of imploded. Um, And, you know, given his ineffectual debating with uh, with Rachel Notley and everything else, it's just sometimes politicians can get a little bit too smart at these things and they don't take the voters into consideration. And at the end of the day, I mean, every one of their insiders only gets one vote. So you really got to be careful about how much you really try to game the machinery when at the end of the day, like you've got to answer to us.
2: Danielle Smith said if she could do it all over again, she would have resigned and given herself time before just making this switch from one party to another. And this actually brings up something that I've found in my research from Manitoba. In Manitoba, you're not allowed to just get elected with one party and then decide you're going to leave and go to another party. You actually are forced, if you want to move from one party, you have to resign your seat and become an independent. And then you have to have an election before you're allowed to go. And it's interesting because it seems like in some parts of the country... They've understood how angry this makes people. And they've actually made a law just saying, you're not allowed to do it. I
1: don't, I can't say that I totally agree with that. How come? How come? The thing is like voters in certain constituencies, they're, they're not stupid. Voters know who they're electing. If my MP believes in a certain ideology and then the party leaves that ideology and he joins the opposition party, I don't think it's fair to say that he has to turf himself from politics altogether.
2: Well, it's not turf. It's not turf. Like you're still an MP, you're just sitting as in an independent. You're not turf from politics completely. So why can't they simply just join the other side if they already agree with that side to begin with? Okay, I understand what you're saying, but I think the reason why this is confusing is Let's be honest. People don't vote for individuals in a federal or even sometimes provincial system. They look at the party. They look at the leader. And this is one of the criticisms of our system is that we're becoming too presidential like in the United States. We're paying too much focus to the leader and to the brand and not enough to individual members because individual members are supposed to be able to vote their individual way. But we know that that's not how it works. You're voting for the PCs. You're voting for the liberals. And when you vote for that party, and then the person who's your representative is like I'm peacing out and going somewhere else you're like I didn't vote for your independent views I voted
1: for this party and now you're betraying that I'm sorry I just think that you got to do at least a little bit of you can't just you know what this is like this is almost like when the World Cup comes around and everyone just starts waving their country's flag and you'll see like a bunch of cars driving along with the orange Dutch colors or you'll see like the Italian flag sticking out of somebody's car and it's not like that like this isn't a football game this isn't Sports. This is actually the way that our government runs our country. You should have a little bit more invested than just the party label. You should ask your local representative what it is that they stand for and believe in. And if you agree with that, then cast your vote. Listen to you getting so earnest. You sound like me.
2: (laughs) And you know, speaking of doing your homework... We're out of time for the program. I'm really worried about where you're taking this segue. That doesn't make sense. Okay, you didn't let me finish. What I'm trying to say is that people who want to learn more about this topic or other stuff in Canadian politics should definitely follow us on Twitter at CanadaLandCommons. Well, at CanadaLandCommons isn't actually the address, but search for it and it'll be the
1: first thing that pops up. Oh, nice glove save on that one. Shout out also to our amazing producer, Imogen Burchard. And to Katie Jensen, who also helped produce this program. Much thanks to our former producer, Andrew Norton, and to Drew Brown for helping us out this week. The music for Canada Land Commons is done by Nathan Burley. And you can find the Canada Land website at canadalandshow.com.
2: So listen, everybody, if anything about this show interests you or if you have suggestions for me and Andre, email us. You can get me at desmond at canadalandshow.com.
1: And I'm andre at canadalandshow.com. That's A-N-D-R-A-Y. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, contribute. Go to patreon.com slash Canada Land. Also, wherever you subscribe to our podcast, make sure you show us some love with that five-star rating. Tweet
2: about the show, talk to your friends about the show, give us a review, all that good stuff.
1: The next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is gonna be out on Thursday, and Canada Land Commons will be back next Tuesday. We're out.
0: New experience to be taken for a ride. (laughs)